This is episode 68 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm talking with Laura Hess. Laura was an avid horsewoman for many years. She volunteered with two local therapeutic riding associations as a sidewalker and horse handler. In part, her experience with therapeutic riding inspired her to write about it in her books. While her horses have all passed over the rainbow, including her mare Sally and her paint stallion Patch, they live on in the pages of her stories. She bought her first horse pride when she was 11 after presenting a financial plan to her father that it was cheaper to own a horse than to continue to rent one and pay for lessons. While Laura is horseless now, she is lucky to have many friends with horses whose barns are always open. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Show. I'm Carly Cade, and today I am so excited to have fellow author Laura Hess on the show. Hi, Laura. Welcome. Hi, Carly, and everybody who's listening. So great to be here. So I always love to kick off these interviews with, with the best question. Laura, how did your love affair with horses begin? It started from about the time I was three. My parents told me that like, they are not farm or horse people or animal people at all. Never, never were. My mother was a, a producer of music hall theater and my father was a CGA and chief financial officer of the Royal Canadian Mint. So mm -hmm. horses, no. <laughs> But I always, you know, right from an early age, I loved them. And when I was three, uh, they got me one of the, I think it was called a Johnny horse and it was stuffed and you could sit on the floor on it mm -hmm. and you bounced on it and we had hardwood floors so you could bounce across the floor. And that was where my first love started. And then they started taking me for, for pony rides wherever they could. I still remember my first pony ride, believe it or not. I was five years old and his name was, I believe, Mike. Was it Mike? No, it wasn't. It was Pete. It was Pete. And he was a little black Welsh pony. And we were on a trip to uh, Prince Edward Island. And I just remember it as clear as day, as young as I was. And I was hooked. By the time I got off of Pete, that was it. I just wanted a horse. And when I was uh, 12, I think it was 12, uh, I presented my father with a financial plan that it was cheaper for him to let me own a horse than it was to continue to keep riding at riding stables and take lessons. <laughs> Crafty, I like it. <laughs> yeah, he told me, he told me, uh, he told me a, a, about 10 or 15 years later that it was the best thing he ever did because it kept me away from boys until I went to college. <laughs> I completely agree with that. I wasn't interested in boys until college either because the horses were everything. And yeah, it's the best investment parents can make oh, yeah, in their definitely. daughters. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems to be too. There's hardly any any boys. I don't like I grew up in Ottawa in the city and there's hardly any boys or men interested in horses. It was pretty mm. much all girls. 
Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I, I moved out west and moved to British Columbia and lived in Alberta that I actually met like real cowboys. Mm -hmm. I think the world needs more cowboys. I, <laughs> I really so. do. And, yeah. you know, if, if boys were smart at a young age, they would realize all the girls are out there at the horse shows. Like exactly. it's the best place ever to meet, <laughs> you know, to meet lovely ladies. So that's so great. And so, so your business proposal worked and it did you... Did. Okay, so you wound up with, with your own horse. It did. And I also think my mom had a big hand in this because my mom, God bless her, she was five foot nothing. And she was a real, you know, she was a dancer. She wasn't a horse person. She was terrified of them. But every Sunday she used to take me and my girlfriends out riding and she wouldn't let us ride alone so no matter how terrified she was she would get on a dude horse and ride out with four and five little girls mm -hmm. to keep us safe <laughs> that's a good mom what a yeah. great mom and i think she was getting a little tired of being terrified and keep getting on strange horses and she wanted me to have my own so she didn't have to do it anymore <laughs> that's great so so what was your first horse's name my first horse was Pride. He was a standard bred, thoroughbred cross. Mm -hmm. And we, had, we were very lucky. We had friends that had farms and one of them had horses. So they came out with us to go look at horses. And we only had $200 and this was a long time ago. So you could buy a really nice horse actually for $200. The very well-trained ones were about 500 to 750 bucks. And we only had $200 and we drove into this farmyard and I really wanted to get into Hunter Jumper at the time. Mm. And as we drove in, we watched this uh, ch little chestnut horse sail over a six foot fence like there was nothing there. Mm. I said, that's my next horse. I was 12 <laughs> and we go and look at him and he's an unbroken two-year-old stallion. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and the farmer looked at us and, and pride and I bonded the moment we met and we had this fellow with us. His name was Rick. And he said, you know, Laura, you're going to have to train him, right? Like this is a really big deal. I said, I want him. I love him. Mm -hmm. And he, even after 15 minutes with me, he'd follow me everywhere. Mm -hmm. So the farmer let us uh, buy him for $100 because it was going to cost 100 bucks to get him gelded. And the gentleman we w were with made sure that the vet was there. So we went over, we picked him, we bought him, picked him up. We got to the farmyard. The vet was standing there and he got gelded in the first 20 minutes of my owning him. <laughs> it, was, it was a real learning experience. And I think it was one of a lifetime. To, to be honest and he was with me for uh, seven years until I went to college and then I had to sell him which was a pretty tough 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 moment mm. to let him to let him go to another another home and to move on mm. yeah that that is a challenging moment yeah. when it's time to enter adulthood and sometimes yeah. you know we cannot take our childhood horses with us so I, I understand how yeah. painful that can be but this this love of horses and you know the fact that you had a horse in your life has only continued to grow because you are now an author oh, of God. some incredible horse books so yeah. the horses have followed you you know all through your life yeah they yeah. they've really impacted me and and i got back i'd been out of horses for years mm. i'd always wanted to write but uh it took a major health scare for me to actually sit down and start writing mm. 
And it was because I'd had major, sur major surgery and I couldn't sit up for three months. And to start getting my stomach muscles, I actually started uh, sitting up and I had a, a little uh, um, computer. So I started banging on the way on the computer. And I wrote this story called One Frosty Christmas and it was just a short story. And uh, I wrote it really for um, recovery and I wrote it for my neighbor's kids because she had a little girl who was seven at the time and just loved, loved horses and ponies. Mm -hmm. That was the driving force behind it. But I had also been involved with therapeutic riding mm -hmm. as a volunteer, as a horse handler. And, a, and I helped the, the lady that owned the stable and owned the horses. My couple friends of mine, we used to work with the horses to train them to get used to having autistic, you know, paralyzed adults on them, autistic kids. And we worked with the horses and I was, was addicted. And it really inspired me to be part of the program as a volunteer. And then there was a couple of other incidents meeting this frostbitten pony Mustang from Wyoming at Thunderbird Park in Vancouver that was on its route to Northern BC somewhere. And just the idea of who, what little girl loved this pony so much. And he was ugly. Let me tell you, he was ugly. <laughs> and he was a little bit nasty. And, but somebody loved him enough to bring him from Wyoming up to Northern BC when they moved. And that fascinated me. And that sort of that prompted me to write and to write this little short story. And when I gave it to my little friend, Rayanne, who's now an adult with kids of her own to read, you know, her and her, her mom said, you get to turn this into a book. You really do. So I sat down over the next year and I expanded the story and, and uh, released it about a year later. I'd always wanted to be, have my own publishing company from very early on. So I decided to use this book as my masthead to see how it would go. And I printed off 500 copies and I went to a craft show. Mm. And the craft show was full, but they gave me a card table under a water fountain in the hallway. <laughs> Across from another author who had 20 books out and that's how he made his living. Mm -hmm. And he put his arm around me and he said, Laura, I'm gonna tell you how to sell books at a craft show. So I had 500 books in a box, two boxes under the water fountain, and I sold out in 48 hours. Wow. So what tip did he give you that helped you do? I mean, that's, that's incredible. That's a lot of bank. <laughs> the, the best thing he said to me, he says, you've got three seconds. And if someone meets your eye in three seconds and looks at the cover of your book and is interested, and you meet their eye and smile, mm -hmm. they will come talk to you. And he says, that's the best thing you can do is just be open and presentable and happy in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I spent the first day, it was a four day craft show. And I spent the first day watching him. I sold three or four books that day. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I just smiled and caught people's eye and said, Hey, do you like horses? Or do you have a kid that likes horses? Mm -hmm. And this is my, my first book. And, you know, it's a really inspiring, inspiring tale uh, for little girls. Uh, if you like Black Beauty, you like this one. And boom. And then people just started lining up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. So in two days, in, like, at, so by the end of the third day, I'd sold out. I kept one book back mm -hmm. for people to look at. And I took names and phone numbers. And I sold another thousand by the end of the last day. 
That's incredible. That's how I started, actually, was I started just going to artisan craft shows and farmers markets. Mm. Uh, by the time I was in my second year and I had the Great Pumpkin Ride out, which was the, the second book, uh, and then the third book, I was making a high five to low six figure income in three years. That's incredible from attending craft shows, craft shows. and farmers yeah, and markets. Sold, uh, BC Ferries here used to have an artisan market at the ferries mm -hmm. and thousands and thousands of visitors go through BC Ferries in a year from Vancouver Island to British Columbia. And I live on Vancouver Island. Uh, I had a t-shirt and card line that I sold with the books mm -hmm. uh, as gifts. So I do a, do a package deal that was really popular. Wow. So do, so do you think the, the success of this series is largely because it's holiday themed? Do you think that that gives you an angle to yes, sell definitely. better? Okay. Yeah. When I went into it, I, I, I did One Frosty Christmas as a Christmas book, and that was my idea. I thought, you know what? I picked five holidays, and I based the theme on the book around how I felt about each holiday. So I have One Frosty Christmas, A Philly Called Easter, The Great Pumpkin Ride, Mm -hmm. uh, Independence, which is my joint Canada Day Independence Day book, and Valentino for Valentine's Day. I had always planned on five books in the series. Five is my favorite number. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do five, five of everything. <laughs> but it it has it it has proven very successful for me. They said I made a very good living for about seven years. But it was also a different time because I, I did my release. 2002 was when I released my first book mm. uh, in the series. And it was a time when people still loved print books. There were mm. still lots of bookstores, you know, brick and mortar bookstores. That was how I sold. And I made a very good, very good living at it. And I had so much support from independent bookstores. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing. One Frosty Christmas, The Great Pumpkin Ride, and A Philly Called Easter are a trilogy. Mm. I like the characters, and, and readers gave me a lot of feedback, and they liked the characters so much that they said, can you continue them? So I continued the same characters in those three books. They're, the other two books are standalone. But that gives you an idea of the cover of, of One Frosty Christmas. So it's, it's a, uh, for those just listening and not watching us on YouTube, it's a, a, a white cover with a beautiful white horse that's wearing a, a Santa hat. And yes. it's like, who wouldn't be attracted to that cover yeah. that loves horses, particularly so I, right around Christmas time? As you can see, I'll put, to put it there. As you can see, I put out a trilogy, mm -hmm. which is an ebook. It's an ebook, audio book, and a print book. So You've had incredible success with your holiday horse book series, yeah. but, but this isn't where it ends. You also tell stories for all ages in various genres as well. <laughs> so you are a busy I writer. Uh, I do. Yeah. Tell us about the other genres that you write in. Well, as well. I'll, I'll, because we're talking horses, I'll put this one up here. Mm. It's this, the Silver Spurs Home for Aging Cowgirls. Uh, that was a result of a lot of wine. <laughs> over over dinner with friends and and talking about all these crazy experiences that we had with horses and 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 other horsewomen mm -hmm. and this is a little x-rated it's not over the top but it is a little x-rated uh, at the time, uh, a friend of mine and I had opened up a boarding stable and he was a trainer and he was doing training and we were out for lunch 
with a couple of our clients and there were these two ladies sitting beside us and they were absolutely bombed, uh, <laughs> absolutely bombed. I'm hoping they took a cab home and they were arguing about their two warm blood stallions on whose stallion was better. How do you know? She says, cause I got under them with the tape measure. Oh my goodness. <laughs> there was silence at our table. <laughs> so that kind of started the idea between behind the Silver Spurs Home for Aging Cowgirls of all these crazy old ladies and crazy cowgirls and horsewomen and dressage riders. Uh, they all, and a lot of them shared their funny stories with me and they have made it into the fiction novel. Oh, that's you know, fun. Without so using names to offend anybody. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of fiction, right? You can take <laughs> these ideas and kind of mold them into something that is based on something that actually happened yeah. it's not yeah. real anymore yeah. so so what genre is this this book this particular book it's, it, it's silver spurs is kind of on, on its own it's very weekend at bernie's meets blazing saddles it's, it's a <laughs> mel brooks type of comedy uh -huh. but it's got some real emotional uh moments in it because it's about a ranching family losing their about to lose a ranch oh, no. and they try to think of a way that they can come about their cattle are gone they're thinking of even selling the kids horses and they don't know what to do so they come up with this idea to take in retired cowgirls and their horses mm -hmm. and they end up with four crazy women only one of whom is a cowgirl and a barn full of stallions <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then it just takes off from there with pregnant St. Bernards and smugglers on the loose and a plane crash and a rogue mountain lion. And, and it's a whole lot of fun. So it starts off kind of slow and easy, kind of like the big easy, like New Orleans. It's a little slow and easy as you get to meet everybody. Mm -hmm. And then it havoc breaks loose. <laughs> Now, is this a series or is this a standalone book? This sounds. This is great because you've got the children's books and yes. you've covered the holidays, and now you're writing like quirky, fun stuff for an older yeah. audience, which is great. So, is this? I have been asked by by readers. There's one review, and I've had probably two dozen personal emails from uh, readers who have read read them because I I sell I still like last year I was out uh, doing some markets for the first time in probably seven or eight years. Mm. And I was tired of being in my office and I wanted to get out and talk to people. So I went out and did a few Christmas shows uh, and I sold probably uh, three to one uh, Silver Spurs Home for Aging Cowgirls. People, it, people loved it. So I had a lot of personal emails asking if I would write a sequel. Nice. So I am considering it. I, I, I'm jotting down ideas. They're pretty crazy. So I haven't decided where I'm gonna go. 2021, yes, I'll probably write a sequel to that one. I don't know if I'll, I'll write my five, my magic number, but uh, I will probably do a follow-up. Well, I can tell that you're having fun with it. I mean, you are very lit <laughs> up when you're talking about it. And like, how, how fun. I mean, writing a comedy yeah is you know are you are you kind of a funny person like is it hard to write humor? well I live with with a rock musician huh? and we're actually a family of artists my my uh partner's hilarious <laughs> he's he's quite the comedian and he's an absolutely incredible incredible guitarist and and rock singer and my stepdaughter is um, high-functioning autistic, and she is in the arts as well. She's trying to go to university to do her master's in arts. 
uh, one course at a time, one term at a time. Mm-hmm. And we're very, very proud of her. And so that's why I said love and love and peace and wellness is is cornerstones in our family. And I really try and do that in my writing and bring in some a sense of humor mm. into it. I, so I have a cozy mystery series called the Gumboot and Gumshoe series. And the first book is Gumboots, Gumshoes and Murder. And it's about an RCMP officer and her pot-bellied pig who keep stumbling upon bodies and bizarre deaths and they keep being ruled as a bizarre death by the coroner but she says no there's there's something there's something not wrong not right with this uh and she starts bringing in the aid of a retired supreme court judge and her pig and a jersey cow named peaches and they uh, go in search of a serial killer and it is a a black comedy it's insane it's cozy mystery but again, it's a little Mel Brooks. I, I just love Mel Brooks's humor. I've always loved his his movies that he's produced. I just, you know, it's, and at this point in the world with everything that's going on between COVID and fires and everything else, I think people need to laugh. Mm, yes, and, right. It, it's my uh, it's my release, and and it just kind of gets a little bit crazier and crazier. And it it's fiction. It's not supposed to the the Gumboot series is not supposed to be imitating life. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're into forensics, it's not a forensics book. It's about the characters and the situations. But in saying that, in the second book of of the series, uh, the Dastardly Mr. Deeds, uh, I solved the severed feet and sneakers cases that. <laughs> where we had severed feet and sneakers that were washing up on the beaches of BC and Washington state uh, over three or four years. Uh, only my solution involves crooked undertakers. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that sounds like a lot of fun. I really hear that you're having a lot of fun with that. So you've like covered your, you know, you're obviously from a creative family and you are creative. So you've yes. And you did the holidays, but now you're, you know, you also have a series that gives you the giggles, which is yeah. important. And, you know, I love it that, and you have the animal sidekicks, the pot belly pig, and, you know, that, uh, that's really fun. This is the book that started it all. And I, I hate to say it, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't drink a lot, but, but when I do, it's usually with girlfriends. And this book started with wine on the phone with my editor from my for she was my editor for all my uh uh equine novels the the holiday series and she was editing a horror book for a writer who was from my writer's group and it was a slasher horror Mm. and she lived on in a tiny cabin on an acreage at the end of a dead end road Mm. and she was reading this and she called me at midnight and she was freaked out she says, oh, my God, this book is so horrible. I'm afraid people are going to, somebody's going to come and try to, to kill me and show up with a knife or a chainsaw. So I said, have you got, have you got some wine? She said, yeah. I said, well, pour a glass. So we sat with our glasses of wine on the phone, coming up with all different weird ways to kill people. <laughs> and that's actually how gumboots and gumshoes came about because some of it was so bizarre. She says, you know what? I think you better write a book. I said, yeah, I think I better. I think I'll throw in a pig. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Isn't it amazing how like a conversation can end up becoming a book yeah. after, you know, you get the giggles and you yeah. 
brainstorm ideas and and it can turn into something especially if you let your mind go wild that's so yeah. great one of the best things to do is the internet i, I have to say in all the uh, all my strange deaths if you google bizarre deaths and strange deaths on the internet you would be surprised what you find and they are funny <laughs> So there's a wealth of ideas there. there is. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, writing across genres, is it, it doesn't sound like for you, it's a difficult thing to do. I, you know, I was wondering, you know, it's like a lot of people tend to stay in the lane, but how's your experience been writing across genres? I like, I like it because it releases my imagination and I mm -hmm. don't get stale. Mm -hmm. And that's my biggest fear as a writer is to get stale. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want a book write a book that's predictable. Mm. Like the holiday series is very Hallmark Walt Disney themed mm -hmm. because of who I'm writing for. So, mm. you know, there's like one frosty Christmas is Romeo and Juliet for kids with mm. a frostbitten pony Aww. in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's an emotional story. It's an emotional roller coaster, but it has the Disney hanky waving happy ending. Mm. But sometimes I want to write a book that is bizarre, different, <laughs> has a lot of twists and turns. And you, I'm not going to write that in a young adult or children's genre. It will have to be in, in an adult mm -hmm. uh, because of the, the themes involved. I don't write about graphic sex. I never write graphic violence, ever, mm -hmm. ever. I don't want to do that. I just want to tell a, a good story. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I love is when I read some of my reviews, I like to read my reviews. I think they're, they're a wealth of information from what you've done right to maybe what you've done wrong. Mm -hmm. And when I have feedback and people say what they loved about it, like I've had a few where people said, I was sure I knew who'd done it. And I did not. I did not see that coming. Oh, that's the best kind of feedback when you it write. It is. Uh, and then I know I've done my job. Mm -hmm. I've done my job and I've told a good story. That's fantastic. And then when you are writing across genres, do you do you write, you know, all your books at once or do you do you focus on one? You know, how's that work out? You know, it's like, do you, do you work on one at a time or are you able to write across genre and multiple projects? No, I, I write one at a time. Um, otherwise, things will cross, ideas will cross into that genre that I don't want there. Mm. And I can get off track. And people who normally would tell you I'm really easy to wander off track. <laughs> <laughs> and then how how do you structure your writing time? Is there a particular you know, because you, you write quickly. I think you were sharing with me that yeah. you can write a book in like two or three weeks. That to me is some, incredible. Yes. Fast. Yeah. Some, some books have two to three weeks and others have taken me two years. Hmm. Uh, depends on the amount of research I have to put into the book or I want to put in the story before I write. Hmm. Even the comedies mm -hmm. uh, will have research involved. It's whether I'm re those researching the location whether I'm researching, is it plausible for this plot to work? <laughs> yeah. uh, is there a basis? Like, I want to have truth in my story. I want the characters to be believable, and I want the story to a certain part be believable. But I'm also, I'm also writing fiction as well, and there's a real balance in there that's kind of hard to find sometimes. Valentino took me two years. Mm. Valentino, I think, out of, I've written, what, 20 books now, I think? That's incredible. 
Yeah, and Valentino was a two-year labor of love. It's set on Jedediah Island, which is a, a little island off the coast of British Columbia, off of Vancouver Island, and it's owned by BC Parks. And I, for years and years and years, I had people saying, you have to write the story of Will. He's the quarter horse paint that got left behind on Jedediah Island mm. when uh, the island was donated by the Palmer family to BC Parks. And I'd heard story after story after story about him from fishermen. And it happened that my blacksmith and my vet used to go out to the island to look after the horse. Oh, wow. So they were able to give me a lot of feedback. Then I volunteered with therapeutic riding for, for many years, as I said. And one of the clients was a young lady named Maddie. And I got to know her from, I think she was six or seven when she started. And she was a blind girl who suffered from drop-down seizures. Mm. And she's a young lady now. And her parents got her one frosty Christmas in the Pumpkin Rhyme Easter. And she said to me, she said, Laura, I really want you to write me in a book. Oh, wow. I said, okay, well, let me think about that and how I can do this. Mm -hmm. And she was an amazing young lady. She had a lot of health issues, but she always had a smile on her face. Mm. She was always sharing a joke. She was absolutely hilarious. And she would tackle anything and you think that you can't do something well you volunteer with therapeutic writing and you'll discover that there's no such word as can't <laughs> and i wanted to write about her spirit and her abilities it didn't matter that she suffered what what we would consider disabled seriously disabled well she didn't think of herself that way mm. and she was capable of a lot and i wanted to capture that in a book but I wanted to capture it realistically. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, there was a lady who was shipwrecked on the coast of Haida Gwaii and survived 10 days on her own. Her husband was killed. And this is uh, anybody who's been to Haida Gwaii. There are sections of the West Coast and the islands that are really, if you've watched the, the first shows of Alone, mm -hmm. the documentary where people have to survive, Mm -hmm. on Vancouver Island and they're up in the same area that this lady was shipwrecked and there are a lot of bears wolves and cougars and nothing to eat in the winter and it is tough and it is scary so I wanted to write all those things into a story but it had to be for me believable and my background originally is in forestry so I actually had a lot of survival training in forestry and I've worked up north I worked on fly-ins where you got dropped off by float plane or helicopter for 10 days. And then they came and picked you up at the end of 10 days. Sometimes it was 14 days if the weather turned and they couldn't get in. Hmm. And there was myself and a partner and you're all alone in the bush. with <laughs> Nothing and nobody, just your radio to check in every night and your job to do. And I wanted to capture the feel of that. So it took two years before I was satisfied with the story that everything was, was believable. It could happen. I talked to a lot of um, different people about it, had a lot of uh, a few experts read the book after I'd written it and said, does this work for you? And they all agreed. And I it's the most it's the book I'm the most proud of. This is the Valentino and the holiday series. It was the last book that I wrote. Mm -hmm. And it's about a blind girl with her seeing eye dog and a hide boy who gets shipwrecked on opposite sides of Jedediah oh, wow. Island in the middle of winter and they have to survive and what brings them together and is their saving grace is will the horse that got left behind oh that's lovely
So, so even when you're writing fiction, there is, and there's a, the speck of truth, particularly a, like a local legend, you have to yeah. search and find out the story so you can create, create it accurately. That's, yeah. that's really incredible. That must've been a fun research adventure too, learning all. Oh, it was marvelous. I, I went to the island a couple of times and it was just incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, Will has passed away now, but people made a grave and they are, there's pictures wrapped in plastic and cellophane. Uh, there are um, flowers, you know, plastic flowers. There are notes. There are mm -hmm. notes that people put in, in plastic there and saying, you know, I meet you, I met you, I got to know you. And what a blessing you were when we used to come and visit the island. Oh, that's lovely. And and you memorialize. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've just heard from, from uh, I, I advertise in a horse magazine, Canadian Horse, uh, Pacific Horse Journals, and Northwest Horse Source. I do do print advertising for my books. This is Canadian Horse Journals here, which is really big in Canada. Mm -hmm. And they just did a review on Valentino. And a lady who is friends with the Palmer family bought the ebook and read it. And she's just responded uh, to me that she uh, called the called the uh, Palmer family to let them know that I dedicated the book to to Will, and they were really really thrilled. Oh, that's and lovely. That, that was very cool, and that was just recently. Yeah, and then so you know you have twenty books. You, you know, you have a lot of success, you're yes. selling them very well, and you write across genres. Yes. Which route did you choose to go with your author career? Did you, did you go the independent publishing route, or did you go the traditional route? The interesting thing is when I first wrote One Frosty Christmas, uh, before I published it uh, independently, I sent it out to a few regular mainstream publishers. And I had, uh, like a lot of people, I had rejections, but they were all very nice rejection letters. Mm. And they said, you know, we just loved your story, but it'll never sell. And I thought, well, you don't know horse girls, do you? Right. <laughs> like, you, don't know the, you don't know who the audience is. And I do, because I am one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and I had the opportunity five years after like, I, originally it said I got all these rejection letters and I thought oh to heck with you I want to and my parents actually talked me into publishing it and doing it on my own because my my father and my mom said to me you have a business background you know you can do this mm. you really can do this and you wanted to do it since you were a kid so go for it and five years after the fact I ran into one of the editors at one of the publishing companies at a book signing bazaar in Victoria, uh, BC, the, the capital in Vancouver Island here. And she looked at it and she says, I remember your book. So she says, so you published it yourself? And I said, yeah. She says, How, how's you doing? How your sales are doing? So uh, I said, well, I've told her how many copies I'd sold and how much I was earning in a year. And she says, oh my God. <laughs> I said, well, I told you, you didn't know your market and I did. Yeah. And she said, I just, she said, honestly, I didn't think it would sell because it was just a Christmas horse book. I didn't think it would go. She says, well, she says, can I make you an offer? Can we buy this? Because I had, at that time, I had the four books out. I had One Frosty Christmas, The Great Pumpkin Ride, A Philly Called Easter and Independence. And she says, I'd like to talk to you about buying them out and option the rights and producing and putting them out through our company. And I said, no, I make more. I would than the majority of authors out there doing this on my own working six months a year 
and I never looked back. And I'm very glad that I'm an independent. That's I'm awesome. Proud of it. And you didn't take no for an answer because you knew your audience and you knew your market and you, and that's the beauty I think now of independent publishing is that books that maybe didn't have the opportunity to see the light of day before because they weren't in like a, you know, a certain category or the publisher didn't understand like horse books and horse girls. I mean, we know I'll pick up anything with a horse on the cover. So it's so beautiful that you went and you did this yourself and you're having success and you weren't stopped by a, by a no, you know what I mean? So like that, that is really powerful. I I tell everybody, if you've got a book in you, I said, if you want to go mainstream then sure, go for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like send the queries out before you do this on your own. Uh, and see how you go but just remember that even if you're with a mainstream publisher you're going to have to do all your own publicity because they'll have one publicist for a hundred authors and they will say to you what are you going to do to promote your book Mm -hmm. well if you're going to do all the work then to me you should get all the credit and the successes from it you know and it comes down to what do you define as your success so you have been in this business for a long time you've had a lot of success you've written 20, years now. Yeah. yeah you've written 20 books you're yeah. clearly selling a whole bunch of them what advice would you give to a new author coming into this space like what what would you what would you share with them um, based on your experience of, of being a successful author I would say write what you know and that know your genre Mm-hmm. people have certain expectations uh i mean it doesn't mean that you can you know that you have to stay to the norm you can make it creative but you still have to write within the genre and you need to know it whether it's like you write western romance because i'm a big fan of your books i absolutely love them i'm gonna i'm, I'm flashing your book here <laughs> oh my gosh I, I you're so to. lovely <laughs> you guys i love this book i love in the rains and <laughs> thank you, you know, so you have to know your Western romance. If you're going to write children's equine books, make sure that you know that that's what you read. You understand what you're writing and who you're marketing for, mm. who your reader is. That's the big one. If you know that, then you can sit down and write a story. Mm-hmm. I would suggest that you take the time and browse the Amazon bestseller list. There is a lot of cosmic creative energy that is out there. Make sure before you sit down to write the book and have, uh, that you have the story idea, it's not already out there. And you can find that through the bestseller list and doing your research in the genre. And if it's not, then sit down and write it and don't let anybody tell you not to. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet has been told thousands and thousands and thousands of times over. It's up to you as the author to rewrite re- write it creatively putting your own spin on the story with your own characters and your own settings. Mm-hmm. But don't let anybody tell you no. You, you can't do it. You just don't ever let anybody tell you no. That's great advice. And you followed that advice yeah. and you, you got one frosty Christmas into the yeah. world and, and are doing very well with it. Yeah. So I always love to ask these questions because I, I, answers are always different and it's a great learning opportunity for other authors. So in your experience, what has been the most difficult part of being an author? And then on the flip side of that, what has been the very best part of your author journey? 
The most difficult part is the marketing because you have mm. to wear so many hats. Mm-hmm. You are a writer, a creator, uh, and then you're, if you're an independent, you have to do all your marketing. But, you know, even if you're a traditional publisher, you still have to do your own publicity and marketing. So that is something you have to be comfortable with. Uh, the days of being the author in the background that goes to a traditional publisher and they do everything, that's gone. Mm-hmm. This is the new this is the new reality here as, as far as publishing. So you can do it, but it's something you really need to work at and you need to learn. So you have to balance writing and marketing. And one of the greatest things I think you're going to find is when you have people recognize you or if you're out with a book or they recognize you on the street because you, you've had some publicity or they bought your book and they send you emails. And the greatest thing in the world is having somebody who's a fan that you don't know and it isn't a family member. Mm. <laughs> Coming up and say, oh my God, I love, I love what you write and you really inspired me or you really inspired my daughter. That's just the most greatest feeling in the world. And if, if you ever need one thing, to get you to write that book and put it out there, I would say that's it. If one person that you don't know comes up to you and says, your story touched my heart, you're a success. Oh, Laura, that's such great advice, right? Because nobody tells a story the way you could possibly tell a story. You're creating something that's never existed before. And to hear that you touch someone is so special. And you you gave me that gift today by sharing oh, thank about you. the reins. So thank you so much. That is the most beautiful thing though. I mean that that we can write our words and it yeah. touches other people yeah. and you know really uh it's just so special. And I think that yeah. you summed it up perfectly. Yeah. So wh- Laura, what is next for you? I mean you've got a, you're a busy writer. You've got a lot going on. Like yeah, what, I, what are you thinking? I, what are you curious about? What's next for you? <laughs> For being retired, all of a sudden, I'm really busy. (laughs) Uh, Because of fan feedback, I do plan on 2021 uh, putting together the second book in the Silver Spurs for Home for Aging Cowgirls. I'm not sure what I'm going to call it yet, but I do have some ideas that I'm uh, fleshing out and bouncing off friends because they're my greatest uh, asset is friends Mm -hmm. who are honest and let me know if if they think it'll work or not. And then I've got a drama, a Western drama that I've had the outline of now for nine years. Mm-hmm. And it was from a dream I had that it was a dream that continued every day for about a month. I kept having the same dream over and over and over again. And it is about a bucking horse. And mm-hmm. it uh, starts off as a, a Mustang who ends up a bus- bucking horse. And it's a little bit of a harder book to write. It's gonna, it's, it is a drama. It's definitely a Western drama, modern day drama. Uh, it's not a comedic book that I have, have been enjoying. And it definitely will be for an adult audience more for, for the theme. But I feel that I need to write it because mm. it's, it's, I've already got the book cover uh, design. Mm. And uh, it's just something that I, want to do more than anything else Mm -hmm. and then uh, i've been taking narrating courses and voiceover courses for two years i have a little children's series uh, the unicorn day series out that is just little short bedtime stories they were stories that i told in school readings and the teachers asked me to publish them in the play format that i had them in uh, because i used to get the teachers up with me which the kids loved when i was in schools and i'd make the teachers read 
mm-hmm. with me and they, they they thought it was hilarious so i put those out and i narrated them and i just loved it so i've done the voiceover work and i'm planning on doing my own narration for the silver spurs that i'm working on now as well as the rest of the gumboot series i'd like to put my own voice to it that's so cool i mean a couple of cool things about that one i love how engaged you are even during a difficult time like you're using it in such an inspiring and creative way you're keeping yourself busy by creating so you've got more books coming in the pipeline but i also love that you're taking on the narration of your audiobooks but you're doing it in an educated way you said you're taking voiceover courses and you're learning best practices so it's not just you know plugging something in and recording it with your voice you are doing it in an educated way yeah. and recording your own audiobooks actually is a huge savings in the expense of having to get a narrator. Some yeah. some authors can do it, some can't, but like you you decided you were going to do it and you're doing it the right way. You're educating yeah. yourself. So you've got a lot of really cool stuff in the works. Yeah, right no, I'm looking forward to it. It keeps me busy and it keeps me it keeps my mind occupied. You don't use it, you lose it. Mm, that's true. So this is my way of having having some fun, being creative and staying out of trouble. <laughs> yeah, and I really hear how inspired and lit up you are. It it's not and it's it's an outlet for you, but you're also like really inspiring your readers and they're loving what you're working on and yeah. you're kind of all over in different places. So it works different yeah. parts of your brains and that's wonderful. Yeah, well the, the interesting thing too is like the you know, people that buy the horse books for their kids, like the holiday series, they buy one of those for their kids they tend to go over and purchase the cozy mystery series because it's set on a smile island and it's got cows and pigs and saint bernards and german shepherds and mm-hmm. crazy people mm-hmm. and they love it just as much and it's and the silver spurs i wrote for older horsewomen that's why i don't think anybody should feel pigeonholed by what they write yeah creative souls you can explore you know you yeah. never know what the muse is going to want you to write about. And I yeah. love that you follow your muse. These ideas yeah. show up and, and you go after them. So Laura, I have so enjoyed the gift of your time today. Can you let listeners know where they can find you and your books? Yeah, my website is uh, runninglproductions.com. Uh, and I've got all my books up there and links. Right now, I'm solely exclusive to Amazon. So you can find me Amazon around the world. If you type, just type in Laura Hess, and it's Hess with an E on the end. Mm. So H-E-S-S-E. And all my books will come up. And my author central page will come up with all my books. Mm-hmm. And you'll see everything from the Cozy Mystery Series to the uh, Children's Fantasy, the Unicorn Days, and the Holiday Series books will come up. And a, a couple of uh, paranormal thrillers that I wrote years ago that uh, I just don't do anything with. They were fun, but <laughs> they were fun at the time. <laughs> that is fun. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, you know, and you can find me on Goodreads uh, under Laura Hess uh, Writer as well and Facebook Laura Hess Writer. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I do have a YouTube channel, but it's mostly just my book trailers that are on there. And I And again, it's just Laura Hess. Uh, and it'll come up uh, on the Canadian YouTube. And I just have a little, you know, I have a 10-minute segment on where the ideas from my horse books came up from on my YouTube channel. Well, perhaps I can include that in your show notes. And I will certainly link to all those places so people can get directly to you and and find you in the show notes. And Laura, I wish you so much success. You take care of yourself and stay healthy during this crazy time and keep being creative. You use the time... (laughs) 
you're using the time well, and I don't think oh, there's thank a, you. a better way to do it. So, and you too. I love your blog. Absolutely big fan of your blog. Oh, Read it you. all the time. Watch your podcast or, or watch your videos and listen to your podcast. They're just marvelous oh. uh, and uh, well done. Oh, well, thank you, Laura, so much. And and you are the epitome of what I mean when I say authors unite. You've been a big support, supporter of me. I appreciate your time on the show today. You lift up other authors and you're always there with kind words of encouragement. So, so thank, you oh, thank you for being that and uh, taking care of our community too. Well, peace and wellness. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.